Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Becker Holstein, and I have with me my companion in revealing all from growing up in our childhoods and maybe a little bit into our adult lives, Debbie Higgins. Hello. Debbie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Debbie Higgins. And I'll just say that uh, she is a film critic, a producer, a director, and we have had tons of fun building this little program where we discuss using the world of old time radio, that wonderful place where you could just turn on the knob and just do your own visual filming as people talked. You didn't need anything else. And you know what? You still don't need anything else. And right now, during the pandemic, we want you to relax and go back in time as we go back in time and, and feel good and let go of some of the stress of the pandemic back to easier, beautiful days. Of course, they had their own problems, but we're not focusing on the problems. The problems were mostly for our parents and our grandparents as we view them, you know? Exactly, yep. And I don't know, we were talking about a lot of things, Barbara, and uh, I don't know what we're going to start zeroing in, uh, in on here, but we have a lot of topics to cover, and um, let's just pick something and we'll start. Yeah, well, I was going to suggest starting with something as simple as what the apartment I lived in when I was a little girl was like, and we can uh, go from there. The apartment in New Haven was in a big apartment building, and uh, the layout was that you walked into a room, uh, no foyer or anything, just directly into the room that my parents turned into a den with a desk and a couch. We called the couch a studio couch. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Right. But when relatives came, the studio couch was opened and turned into a bed. Then there was a real small living room. And my parents had very, very little money at that point in time. My father was still finishing his doctorate at Yale in, in um, measurements in psychology, um, psychological measurements. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom with her tiny baby, Babsy, I was called. And... Um, so in the living room though, they had a dining room, I mean a living room set. No compromises there. A real couch that, you know, looked like it was sort of an antique, but it wasn't. And a couple of tables made out of pretty good wood and two chairs that were like, I forget what they were called, but end chairs that were comfortable, you know, with, with uh, cushioning and upholstery. No cheating there. Then there was a bedroom. Now, I think today most people would try not to live this way. My parents had their double bed and uh, a bureau. There was a small bureau for me, not as fine wood or anything as their bureau. And then there was the crib. And the crib I slept in until I was approximately between five and five and a half. That's because there wasn't a second bedroom. And uh, when I started to get annoyed and upset because when I went to kindergarten, I heard the awful truth that the other kids had beds. 
<laughs> Somebody kept that information from me, you know, yeah. and I was angry and I, I was really upset, but they think that what they did was my mother started to put me to bed on that, that studio couch. That's how it was worked out. And then the kitchen, the kitchen had a sink, some counter space, a fridge. I think that refridge, the Iceman came. Oh. Uh, yes, yes. And there was a small table. And then there was um, a stove that I don't clearly, re I think I already said a stove. And there was also a washing machine that had on the top of it um, a ringer. So you could walk, the clothes washed really nicely with soap and the thing in the middle was twirling around and everything. Like but, once, yeah. but once that was done, I mean, my mother's work was never done because she had to wring out everything and then hang it outside. And um, that was the apartment, of course, the bathroom. That was the apartment. Probably the biggest thing I ever did in the bathroom was wash my very good shoes which cost a fortune in those days the brown leather shoes that were so quality um buster brown you know they were really good yeah. shoes probably cost my parents 30 dollars even in those days i washed them in the toilet just because i didn't have anything to do oh lord yeah so uh they were not happy about that but that was a little apartment and the only other item I'll share in the apartment was the telephone, which was a four party line. So what you had to pick up the phone and if other people were talking, you were supposed to put it back, check back. And if you had an emergency, you could say, please get off the phone. It's an emergency and people would cooperate. But you couldn't misuse that. If you started to use, misuse it, you were in trouble with the neighbors. Right, exactly. And, and uh, that's the way it was till we moved on to Bridgeport into a much bigger apartment. But I thought it would be fun if you described your house. And I know you were in a, you were in a totally different world from <laughs> me at that point. Well, um, I, I'm a riches to rags story, I guess you could say. <laughs> Um, my father um, was a second marriage and he had a child, myself, when he was late into his 30s. He was already pretty established in business and my mother was also working in Manhattan and we had a huge house, still own it, it's going up for sale, unfortunately and sadly this week. But um, we had a live-in cook, we had a live-in maid um, and my grandparents, lived there. My father's parents lived on, on one floor. My brother and sister were there and they were a lot older than I am, probably 15 to 20 years older from my dad's first marriage. And in the total time I'd been in that house, I was in four different rooms according to what age I was. And I don't know, I just kept shifting around. I was thinking about it the other day. Why was I doing that? But I didn't <laughs> And uh, my parents worked in the city and they came in the beginning, they just came home on weekends. So my mother's mother had a big azalea farm. I mean, a farm just for azaleas, you know, imagine, and now you can, they're not a big deal. You go Lowe's or everything, but um, she would drive down and watch me. 
And every day she kept a leather bound diary of everything I did, every spoonful of mashed potatoes to when I went to sleep. And I just found all those diaries. Which is really wow. Um, oh, it's so sad because it's bringing them all back to me. But it was a huge house, 21 rooms, five bathrooms, um, nine bedrooms, you know, a beautiful yard, two blocks from the beach. Uh, my sister, when she got married, had a horse farm. I had the best of every world imaginable. It was an idyllic childhood. And, um, and, and, and it was just, it was just lovely. And I just, um, I didn't have to do anything, but, you know, amuse myself. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I wasn't sent to the grammar school that everybody was sent to because my parents, it was a new school and it was the first year and they thought I wouldn't get a good education. So they sent me to an all girls school in Long Branch and I had to take the city bus with, and there were no derelicts in those days. I walked up to two blocks, took the city bus, took it to Long Branch and walked three blocks to school. And that was my childhood, but I, I, I loved it. I really can't think of anything that was bad. And around where the house is now all developed, there was a cattle farm, there was a racing stable, there were big tracts of land down by the beach and there were big mansions that had nobody in them. And we would go in as kids and, and play and open windows and go through passages. And, oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. That's my place. So I want to jump ahead to uh, the house that I'm in now because we were talking before and I discovered such a strange fact about us, you and I, and that is that one of the uh, maids that worked in your family home also worked for the people that lived uh, in the house I'm in. And, and the interesting thing is that um, I think, uh, I often think of the people that were in our house the longest, aside from us, as extremely unusual. And, and I'm going to tell you why. S.S. Adams was an inventor of tricks and magic. He had patents on 600 items between the tricks and the magic. And I can only wonder and imagine what did he think of or what tricks did he play on his family when he lived, that family lived in our house, you know, for so many years and what atmospheric things did it create that he, you know, he lived in that world of magic and tricks. And um, I have always felt that this house has um, just very good energy, very nice, you know, interesting energy and an energy that does go back to the first you know around 1910 or so when it was built and uh when was yours built this around the same time 1897 okay and a little earlier house, it was the first house built in the town by the builder that um turned the allen farm into a development that contained summer mansions and also boarding houses. Yeah. But boarding houses weren't like people think. Boarding houses were nice gentlemen that came down and they wanted the seashore and the, you know, different reasons. Yep. You know, like in the old movies, they would go and have dinner together in the afternoon and there would be a, you know, 
a reception room or, or a pipe room. And just, just to let the viewers know, S.S. Adams was, they might know even young people about the bug in the ice cube or the hand buzzer or the fake dog poop and all. That's what he did. They were yes. Gags. Yeah. Uh, he had his factory, I think on Memorial Drive. He did, it was Memorial Drive. Beautiful white building. Gorgeous building, gorgeous. With, I think it had a belfry even in it and just beautiful. And after that went out of business and actually our maid Louise, she was there when it went out of business and um, it became a piano company and now they tore it down. Yeah. 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 And when when we were first uh, living in the house, a couple of the ladies pulled together a little tea party here. And uh, of course I went and uh, they invited me, you know, happily into the neighborhood and so on. And so uh, everyone at that point, I, I should say the seniors, there were two or three women who were seniors. They knew the Adams family and all their stories. And so of course I innocently asked, well, did they hide any money or anything interesting I should know about? And uh, the one woman said, well, there is a story that the, uh, Mr. Adams had some sort of fight with one of his children, a son, and um, hid his inheritance in the wall somewhere or something like And she was a little bit fuzzy on the story, yeah. but that was all I needed. I ran home and couldn't wait till my husband got home. And he proceeded to search the house, of course, right. you know. Yeah. Well, what he found were two items. One was play money, and one of their big items was play money. Right. And the other thing he found was a joy buzzer. And they invented, the, he invented the joy buzzer, right. you yeah. know. I think so, he invented the raspberry cushion. Yes. The one I you think, spit yes. on, it makes the yep. noise. Yeah. Yep, yep. He was, uh, I wish I could have known him. He sounds like he was just fabulous. And sometimes when I'm writing and I'm typing and I'm working on a book or a story or something to do with psychology, I think that maybe he's helped me in a way, you know, that his spirit, he's such an inventive spirit. Um, so that's interesting. I'm not gonna go through every house that we lived in but um, I thought you might enjoy one of the spooky things that happened in the house in Norwalk when I was already 12 to 20. Well, my parents were there till I was like 30, 30 ish. But anyway, um, I had gone to visit my cousin and Joanne, my cousin Joanne in New York by myself. I was a senior in high school, and that involved the train. And then the subways out to where she lived in one of the um, boroughs, I guess they're called. It was a long trip. We had a great weekend. We adored being with each other. And here we were from two different worlds. And now we're big into dating and boys and crushes and stayed up till 2 a.m. talking about everything. So the weekend passed. And on Sunday, I reversed everything, came home and realized that I didn't have my birthstone ring that my uncle Arnold had given me. And I only had like two pieces of jewelry that had any worth, that silver charm bracelet that someone stole and the birthstone ring and everything else. Barbara, was... what's your birthstone? What is it? Um, birthstone. 
it, well, it's no, it's a November topaz. Topaz, okay. Yeah. I yeah. The story. Yeah. So, um, you know, everything else I had was probably better quality than today, but it was all what you would call just costume jewelry right. from the five and 10 or people give you a little birthday present, that kind of thing. So my mother was very upset and I was upset. So we called my, uh, in my family, Joanne and her parents, long distance. Now that was also a big deal because that call was probably going to cost whatever, I don't know what, but a dollar, a dollar and a half, because no one called unless it was, you know, special in those days. <clears throat> and um, her family proceeded to look everywhere. And my mother made me empty out that suitcase and we felt in the linings and everything, you know, to see if somehow it was hiding somewhere and in my pockets and my coat, <clears throat> everything. No, it had disappeared. And then about somewhere between a month and two months later, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was holding my hands out. And there was this lovely, lovely older lady, almost like a fairy godmother kind of lady. And she took my class ring off of my left hand where I had started to wear that as a senior instead. She took it off and she put on my hand my missing birthstone ring in the dream. And I was very relieved. And then when I woke up in the morning, first I looked at my hand and there was no ring on my hand or, or you no know, ring. Well, I don't think I slept with the, your, the uh, senior ring anyway. That's like a big, heavy, chunky thing, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, but I got out of bed and literally tripped over my topaz ring in the rug on the floor. Wow. And the light was on. And I never slept with a light on unless I was sick, you oh. know, just didn't. And then my class ring was missing. Wow. Now the class ring showed up about two months later in the back of one of my bureau drawers. So possibly you could say I was sleepwalking, but it really still is very spooky because yeah. my mother and I have really gone through everything. I like so, that story. Yeah. I like that. I've got a good story about one of my houses. Um, I had a farm, a beautiful farm in Farmingdale from 1820. And I used a man he was an older gent, but he was an electrician. Um, and his name was Mr. Hosley. He's passed now. And he, uh, that we had at one point, um, the farm, I don't know if you ever knew the, uh, the people that investigated the Amityville horror, the Warrens. And um, I also have a friend who is a psychic, and they said there was a lot of poltergeistal activity at this farm, but it was ah. low energy, uh, and it was from 1820 farm, and I was only the fourth person who had lived in that farm generationally. It was DuPont's horse farm, son's horse farm, so it originally mm -hmm. had lots of acres, big old farmhouse, beautiful. Well, he was doing the electricity, and I was, I wasn't there. Nobody was there. I, I worked all day, and I was coming home, and he said he was white as a sheep. And when I came to the house, he said, Debbie, 
I turned and I thought that it was you. But when I looked at the doorway, it was a woman in a period dress just waving <gasps> to me. Oh, wow. And I thought that it was somebody, you know, it wasn't like see-through. It was a person. And I thought it was a costume. And they just did repetitive waving, which is a haunting. Because they just repeat something they did in the past. They don't, oh. hurt, they don't go anywhere. It's like something uh -huh. that was frozen in time. And there were other things that happened at that house as well, but that was the one where it confirmed everything we thought we heard and saw in mm -hmm. the house. But whenever anything happened, you felt a sense of peace. It wasn't like, ah, we got to get out of here, you know? Right. So that right. was something that was very interesting. And um, that was a spooky thing. So that's, that's a house spooky story. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to have just a hilarious laugh, when I saw this skit, and every time I've seen it, I've practically rolled on the floor, you have to go to YouTube to the archives of Saturday Night Live and find the skit where the very mature, sophisticated, bright professor is taking his students to a haunted house. And they are so excited and they've got their equipment that can pick up noise that no one else can hear and voices and they're all excited. And they're trying to get into this other world. And uh, basically this professor is um, trying to calm them down. You know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. We'll just do our best. So they make a recording. They've got all their little equipment, the boxes and stuff. You see it in the skit. And um, when they play it back, they hear this strange, awful noise. They, well, they are so excited. And the, the professor is trying to calm them down. Oh, I don't think it's really anything. Don't worry about it. Let's continue. And the kids keep replaying. What do you think it could be? Someone from another dimension? Is it an animal from another dimension? And you can see him. He's like falling apart finally. And he says, stop. I just farted. I'm sorry. That is the most commonplace word I've ever used uh, publicly, but you can't, if you use another word, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't have I know, the I know. It, it just, it needs that reality, and you know, this dignified, so, so uh, this was one of the greatest skits I've ever seen in my life, so, um, you know I'll what tell I you, you know what, I don't know what you want to talk about now, but I was thinking, what we were talking about was interesting, was when we went into our teenagerhood and our clothes. And do you want to oh, get, do you yes. want to talk about our clothes when we were trying to impress boys and we had really great figures and all that stuff? <laughs> or did you want to pick something else to talk about? Well, I think it's a good thing we can go through it a little bit. Um, I think I was, the, the clothes were beautiful as I think back. I wish I can't, you know, we had taken more pictures. Those were, those were a time when pictures were saved for birthdays and parties and, uh, unusual things. People didn't run around capturing everything. Yeah. But um, my clothing was fine, you know, good materials and, and uh, 
I can't think of, uh, uh, the only thing that comes to my mind are two coats. One was a red wool coat that was just stunning till I got ink on it. And my mother, of course, was furious and uh, it never fully came out. And then I had a coat that represented like an animal skin part of it. It was just wool, but it was made to look like a lion's something. I know one of the animals that was gorgeous and the uh, it had a hood with the lining of the uh, animal's fake skin inside the hood. Yeah. And um, I loved it. And then my mother had kept from her childhood a leather jacket that she wore when she was about 15 to 16. And it was like um, one of those bomber jackets, you know, that people wear on motorcycles. Yeah. It was just so original. And it was the only piece of clothing that she ever actually gave me that was hers. And I, I loved it. Of course, when I reached even like 17, couldn't really fit in it anymore. She was probably thinner at 16, 17 than I was. Uh-huh. And, but I had had maybe a year that I would wear it and I loved it. Right. So jump in with some of yours. Yeah, well, I was, um, you know, when I became worried, you know, when I went to public school, not public, when I went to high school, I was around boys for the first time. Before that, I would have like a stick in my hair because I was riding horses under trees and everything. And um, so I burst on the scene. Some people became hippies. Some people like me was obsessed with the British invasion with uh, all the groups that came over from Britain and Yardley of London, which was a big makeup company that Twiggy represented. And for people that don't know Twiggy, she was like the first model that everybody knew and she was this little skinny silk with big eyelashes and a little short haircut and Vidal Sassoon was the hair cutter of the time but I loved things you don't see anymore Paisley I mean it's very hard to see Paisley clothes Madras which I loved Seersucker which I just loved and we also wore linen which wrinkled the second you walked out of the house but I had paper dresses I read white and blued, like Carnaby Street in London was a big street in London where all the mods, they were called mods, went. And um, I, I really just loved that whole scene and those clothes. And, uh, you know, I never was sloppy or any of that. I really got into fashion. And I remember uh, the designers, people knew famous designers, and they were attainable to buy. Now you would have to buy a copy mm-hmm. of the rack. But back then you did. And of course, my parents were, you know, New Yorkers. And I remember going to the premiere of Hair, which was a really big deal because it was that naked scene in it and all that silliness. And my father bought me the most beautiful Emilio Pucci dress. And we went to 21 for dinner. And I, it was a magical night. And I think back and I feel like I could relive it this second, you know? Um, it's that funny. Is- Time yeah. goes and it's so long, but sometimes you can just think about it and it's so fresh. I know, it's just amazing. And the fabrics, uh, you know, like taffeta and like velvet. The taffeta, taffeta velvet, um, these were things that you wanted to touch. Right. Different than today's clothing where most of it is 
uh, either very beautiful, like if you're going to a prom or something, or very just functional. Medium. But you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily think about touching the fabric. Right. But these fabrics were so gorgeous. Right, and, and the colors too. I remember yeah. the colors of the 60s. There were a lot of like vibrant green mixed with blue and a lot of like powder blue mixed with brown. That They were like color things that you don't see too much anymore, but I don't know. It. I, I was so into fashion and so into that that stuff. It was... You know, because you could just put almost anything on and it fit because you had a great figure. And then if you wanted it, you could put it on layaway. You could go to yeah. a store and you could yeah. put $5 down and you could go right. for the next 10 years and they'd take your $5. Even Macy's did that because it was That's right. Years. That's right. And, uh, and they, don't, I bet you remember, because we both went to a mod, the mob. Barbizon Modeling School. Right. I had a gorgeous black dress for the recital. Oh yeah. I don't know if you did what they did in at yours, but uh, it was a a, a sheath. Is that what we called them in those days? Yeah, you know, like a cocktail dress. Yes, a cocktail dress, and it had something interesting at the neckline and on the short sleeves, and I felt like a queen in that dress, and. Um, yeah, it was a different all time. Yeah. All the designers and, you know, it's the thing is, is that back then we all knew somebody. Everybody knew a famous golfer, a famous ballet star. They were household names. Mm -hmm. We saw people on Ed Sullivan. We, you know, now everything is just so a blur. You know, you ask people on the street, name a ballet star. They, they couldn't name one, I'm sure, you know. Name an yeah, yeah. but who's the head golfer? Maybe they'd say Tiger Wood. They don't know. He's a, but but things were so rich, and they were and corduroy pants. How about corduroy? Oh yes, corduroy jackets with the professors oh, that had the teeth with the patches. You know, I was that, yeah. You know? And and I was thinking that I don't know if people realize that um, we never were. A, allowed to wear pants to school never no. in my you know i had a uniform my whole life so. okay and even in college um i'm not sure whether we were allowed to wear certainly not shorts no matter how hot it is right. we may have been allowed uh in the winter to wear uh, like corduroy slacks it was so cold out but it was a completely different code as far as the clothing. And of course, in the bedroom at um, Smith, where I went for my freshman year, it was finally they changed the fact that boys could never go upstairs. Never, never, never. And they now had a routine where two hours on Saturday and Sunday, a boy could be in the room with you, but both of your feet had to be on the floor. What did they leave the door open so they can And the door them? open. And the door open. You know, see <laughs> if, if you were going to indulge in some sort of making out, you had to figure out how to do it without um was still having your feet on the like correct. A hundred times more sexy, I think. Yeah, so, Whatever's for so. it's like, you know, makes you crazy like you want it all the more, you know. Kind of like and, the, an animal house. Yes, the, yes. Well, one of the reasons that I transferred was I was not really 
dating very much. And uh, the girls that really dated their freshman year, they had gone to prep schools where they had a lot of connections with boys who were now coming to Dartmouth and some of the other yeah. schools around, which I didn't. And um, that's one reason I transferred to Barnard where I had been accepted. Well, I wasn't fully accepted. I was on the wait list. And so I went to Smith where I was fully accepted, but now they accepted me and there was no dormitory space. So the girls that transferred in for their sophomore year, we were in a rooming house that Columbia had bought. Um, and the good thing was that there was actually a gatekeeper or someone always at the front lobby. It was very hard to break in. And, and that's a valid point. You know, you want safety, particularly yeah. in New York City. Um, and um, people were allowed upstairs certain hours. But the good thing was there were defined hours and you could always stretch that a little bit and say, I'm sorry, no one's allowed upstairs, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, that's an excuse if you didn't want to be with the Yeah, exactly. So that worked, uh, it worked pretty well. I was well. so I was home. And yeah, I yeah. actually, in my dating world, as far as uh, college went, I was in like the, I was a voice major and I was in all the shows and I, had affairs with a lot of my leading men. <laughs> I shouldn't even say that, but I mean, you know, it was a company. It was just that world, you know. It was, was that world, and uh, it was a uh, very interesting thing because we were thrown in with women that had lived in this boarding house for years. Some of them were already seniors. They had spent their lives in these in one bedroom with a shared bath and kitchen with three or four other women. And um, some of these women were kind of sad people, which I now understand many people are, you know. At that point in my life, I think it would have been, well, I would have preferred to be with just girls, all happy, excited, whatever, but it was a mixture. And um, I met several women that I'm still in touch with that are very good friends. Um, my mother though, who had this raucous sense of humor, she made fun of the place as soon as she saw it when my parents came to help me because it, it just looked like, oh, I know what she called it. She said, it was called the fair home. So she said, um, home for wayward girls. That's what she renamed it, so. Um, I'm getting I'm I'm getting feedback from people who are watching us. On oh what yeah, saying so it's a riot. Okay. Um, my comment about affairs with my leading men uh, <laughs> had to uh, you know that was I guess I should have that was a shocker. But, uh oh. Now you know, you're. Well, you know when you're in 1776 and you got Thomas Jefferson and all those other you know there whatever, and you're on the road. It's a, a you know for some. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm trying not to name people, but um, so well, I didn't name anybody. Just no, you didn't. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, let me see. There were some other cute things on our list. Um, do you remember if I told my lost contact lens stories at all? I think you I think did tell I, that one. Okay. 
What, so what, gonna, what other general topic should we hit tonight? Okay. So we have... Um, How about when we were bad when we were little? Okay. Well, you were badder than I was, oh, yeah. but um, <laughs> I had a little crowd of girlfriends in Norwalk when we were 12, 13, and we did very naughty things on the telephone. Most all of it was via phone. Calling people, you know, you're, um, what is that thing? Your, your refrigerator is running, you better go catch it. Oh, that's uh, so, you yeah. know, it just, and then we would order pizza for somebody and give the address and everything. <laughs> but, and then we would uh, order sanitary products for somebody. And from a drugstore. Oh, Lord. You know, we were pre pretty vicious for about a year. And then, of course, it died off. Well, that but was, I think, you didn't have caller ID, so you could do all that no, stuff. No, exactly. You know? And you did some stuff, too. Oh, my me. God. I, well, first of all, one of the famous things I did, which has gone down in the annals of uh, the town that I was raised in, Allenhurst, was I was down on the jetty fooling around and I found a lemon shark that was caught between the rocks and I carried it up and threw it in the swimming pool and <laughs> I didn't say anything and people were swimming and doing laps and all their calisthenics and all their crazy stuff and all of a sudden this shark which was about oh probably about three and a half feet long you know which oh, lemon shark is you know it's like a basset hound I mean they're not gonna hurt you uh, it was swimming around the parameter of the pool and everybody got out screaming and uh, I thought it was funny and I got thrown out of the beach club, but only for a day. Now I'd be in jail, I guess. Um, I used yeah. to go down the end of our block and we had a fire alarm that was up on a pole with a little hammer and there was glass in front of it. It was such a charming world. It really was. And I had the boy from two doors down. We'd pedal down on our bikes. I'd get on my seat and stand on it. He'd hold me so I didn't fall. We'd break the glass. The fire trucks would all come. We'd pedal away like crazy. So that was that. And then we got caught. But, you know, back in the day, they, you know, they told my father. And half the time, they wouldn't even do that. It was just... Yeah. It was a different time. I'll tell you... Uh, that reminded me of a fire that happened in our uh, oven here in this house. And um, the reason it happened is my daughter was now about three or four and I would pick her up. I was already working in a school system from the babysitter and we'd come home and she'd be a little cranky and I'd be tired. So I became infatuated with Mr. Rogers. Okay. I loved him. He, he loved me just the way I was. I can't even say my husband liked me just the way I was. Okay. You know, he's, I was probably more infatuated and helped by him than my daughter. So we all, my daughter, I put a steak in the oven. And then because we had no TV downstairs yet, we went upstairs, sat on my bed, and watched Mr. Rogers. And as I'm getting comforted and feeling, you know, that sort of sweet feeling when you feel just in the right spot in life, I'm smelling steak. Oh, you forgot about it. Okay. <laughs> so I go downstairs, 
I um, opened the oven and fire shoots out of it. So I closed the oven. It was just a miracle that the whole kitchen didn't explode. I called the fire department or I probably called the police. I don't remember the exact length of how I did it, but it was fast. And like five trucks came and the police also. And uh, the, one of the firemen came into the kitchen and he said, smells like steak. You know? They were very nice. Yeah, they I mean, put it were softer back then. You know? Yeah, they put it out. My husband came home just when the five trucks were still there. I hadn't even called him. Of course, he was a little bit panicky, but, you know, relieved yeah. that it was nothing. And um, that was uh, a scary moment, but, a, but I got off the hook with that one. There you go. Talking about television, my folks had the first TV in our town. We had the first wow. television and the neighbors, when they wanted to see something, they would come to the house and down the street was Bob Considine. He lived and he would come over to the house all the time. And he was a famous, kind of a famous person in the our older generation that nobody would know him now. But my parents also had this crazy screen that was red and green and blue. Do you remember them, Barbara? You'd stick it on the front of the black and white TV. Oh, and yeah. It was yeah. It was and like, it was wavy and it, it was kind of weird. But yeah. I mean, and, and then I was, you were obsessed with Mr. Rogers. I loved, well, the Mickey Mouse. I, when I was little, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and my sister loved American Bandstand. And they were on at the same time. And my, I'd scream and go crazy. And my father, well, he wasn't home, but they'd always defer to me. My brother would be on my side and I'd get to see Mickey Mouse Club. TRs before, you know. And, well, uh, you, yeah. Probably you missed Howdy Doody because you're a few years yeah, younger than me. I never saw Howdy Doody. And I was so jealous of the kids on Howdy Doody because every day they filled a little bandstand with kids whose parents had brought them to the studio. You had to write ahead and get a day to come. Right. And I was so jealous because I brought it up to my parents a million times, but there was no way they were going to go from Bridgeport, Connecticut to a studio in New York, right. you know, just out of the blue on a weekday. It wasn't happening, right. you know, but, um, that's what that we should do. Another show we should talk about our television shows that were instrumental in our life that, and see if people remember yeah. TV shows, you know? That, well, that, why don't why don't we make that the agenda for next time and see yeah, if anybody? I, I have a uh, real good one. I'm going to save it. And I, I, yeah, I do too. I have some good ones, and um, maybe some people even write to us and let us know what their favorite show was, right. and that we can add that as we talk. Yeah. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah, because it, and you know it was so much you learned and. You know, of course, when we were younger, we only had a few channels and there was better stuff on almost than there is today, except, of course, you know, Netflix and Amazon. But right, um, right. The thing I want to say about the 1960s and close on Netflix um, this this month, I believe it is Netflix and not Amazon. There is a documentary about Hugh Hefner. And it's just great. If you want to get immerse yourself in the 1960s and the clothes and the parties, it, it, it's just like a time capsule. It, it's really entertaining. That's good to know. That's very I, th 
I thought of another fabric that I don't think you mentioned called organ organdy organdy yes organdy yeah I bet most people you know, don't even it. know what it is and tweel you know all the ballet we all did ballet or something we had these mm -hmm. heel skirts you know they were just beautiful and I remember doing ballet for nine years toe and my beautiful ballet shoes with the silk ribbons and oh god I had a white pair and a pink pair and a black pair but um you know really clothes were beautiful all beautiful you yeah know? they were and bathing caps oh bathing yes caps. Sure. I had one that had flowers on it it all flapped like in the wind I love the bathing caps they were wonderful you know I want to go they back were, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, want to go back. I know, I know. Well, if Mr. Uh, the man who owned our house, um, S.S. Adams, if he were here, maybe he would know how to take us back. He was, machine. yeah, time machine. Maybe there is a time machine in the basement. <laughs> I'll have to go look for it. Over. You know what year I want to go back, but I will go back to the 60s with you for a while. I think that would be awfully fun. We'd have a ball. We would have a ball. Yes. Yeah. And we could go back to the 1920s too, because without them, life would be dull for me. I love watching the series that take place in 1920s, reading the books that have characters from the 1920s, and the clothes. F. Scott yes. Gerald. Yeah, those parties. Yeah amazing stuff yeah that's me there you go yep so uh, i want yeah a lot of stuff so let's do uh television and how it affected us and what we remember and you know all of that stuff the next time and i hope the that you who are listening um have some fun that you get a kick out of hearing some of our stuff and remember that one way to get through something like the pandemic is your imagination and is remembering all these fun things or interesting things that have happened to yourselves and to tell them to your kids tell them to your grandkids or get together with some friends even on zoom have a zoom memory party or something yeah. it's good for your mental health it is and they were charming wonderful times and I'm sure that people that are all love technology, but I, I think a lot of people don't like this fast paced existence. It kind of yeah. got us where we are with COVID if we weren't. So That's right. People. That's right. And, uh, just, uh, you know, boy, I miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah. It's too much. Maybe I'll look for a time machine tonight to get into. Okay. Maybe, well, maybe you... in my dreams tonight. Sounds we'll good. Happy dreams. And we're going to say good night for now. And us ladies, who are part of the old time radio show. We will be back in two or three weeks and we'll join you again then. So this is Barbara Holstein signing off and- This is Debbie Higgins signing off. Until then, keep safe. Give us some ideas if you like. Until then, till we meet again. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.